Love. 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 Love in this world is pretty messed up. It asks for a lot and it never returns the favor. Love in my world? Well, it brings more trouble than it's worth. In my world, love has felt like sabotage. It flees into the night. It, it, it leaves at the first sign of trouble. And it never feels like I love you no matter what. Because love in my world, it leaves. And when it leaves, there's only disaster left. Well, promise is a lot, but it doesn't deliver much. It breaks hearts. I've picked up the pieces of my broken heart one too many times. So I build walls. Love isn't worth the tears. The pain, the loneliness. The surrender. It's exhausting. Even when you try to do love right, love fails. I have made a mess out of love. What good is it? Can't help me. I love it all. Why do I even try to love? Why sacrifice to carry the burden? Why? 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 Because there is a perfect love. Perfect love that can end the disaster. A perfect love that can heal the brokenhearted. There is a love that saved those who are dwelling in this messed up world. God tells us about it because we wouldn't recognize it if it showed up on our own doorstep. It's a love that takes its time. It's profound. It doesn't brag or badmouth. God's love is like a shield that we know will never leave us. That you can trust. Hoping. And you never, ever exhaust it. That's his kind of love. And it never fails. And while we were keeping records of wrong and self-seeking and being unkind, he still died for us. How can I love like that? How can I love like that? How can I love like that? Because I am loved like that. I can love well, not because of me, but because he first loved me. All of God's people said amen. You know, I think that's probably the biggest breakdown in marriages today in love is we have reduced love to what we think it is. It's what we've made it to be. In fact, I think if we're not careful, we, we learn and glean only from what we see in our parents' marriage. We see what, what we see in the culture and the, and the commercials and the movies and what Hollywood has reduced love to. It reminds me of a story of, of some children that were uh, playing outside one day. One of the boys, of course, was a son of a pastor, and it was on Valentine's Day, and the pastor, of course, and his wife were just, you know, exchanging gifts and just speaking all of these sweet nothings, and they begin to share with this boy, their son, the day that they were married and talking about the wedding. And, and so as the day went on, the little boy went outside with some of his friends and they were outside playing. And he said, Look, let's do this. I got a great idea. He said, let's perform a wedding. He said, let's each act this out. He said, I've seen my dad do it a thousand times. I know what to do. He said, let's pull this thing together. He said, I'm going to be the preacher because my dad's a preacher. 
So you're going to be the bride and you're going to be the groom and you'll be the ring bearer and you'll be the flower girl and, and we need somebody to be the mother of the bride. Okay, you do that and you be the mother of the, of the groom. And he put all of these things in order and, and he'd done it so many times while watching his father. He'd been a, a, a ring bearer many, many times and so he had done this over and again and been in weddings and he sat back and all the nerves, he didn't realize how nervous he would be as he stood in front of that mock wedding and there was even some people out there watching, some family members if you will. And all these kids were watching, and he, he froze up, and he looks over at the best man, and he says, I don't remember what I do. He said, well, I think what your dad does here is he quotes a bunch of Scripture. He said, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. He said, okay, whoever's name is not found written in the bride's book of life shall be cast into eternal torment. And he goes on to say in the Bible that there is a place specially uh, separated from God. Anyone who says I do and Father forgive them for they know not what they're about to do. Amen. So I think the reality though is we look at marriages in such a way that we've even reduced Valentine's to the one day that we're to love or to extend love or gifts to our spouse. And I submit to you that Valentine's Day did not really originate with what the stories will tell you, what legend and, and lore will tell you. That it originated with a man named Valentinus, or St. Valentine, who was a priest during the reign of Emperor Claudius II. And Claudius II issued an edict for all young boys that were coming of age that they could not get married. And that he would direct the attention, the strength, the desires of those men into warfare, creating a, a, a combat soldier because all of the energy that should have been going into choosing a spouse and living a life separate under that spouse, under God, that he would literally steer them into a path where love would not even be fulfilled in the, in the measure that God had planned at one woman, one man, and holy matrimony. And, and Lower will tell you that this young man, St. Valentine, came along as a Christian and he said that's not going to be good because God had a plan for marriage, that it was good when a man found a wife. It was a good thing. And then it goes on to speak about in Ephesians 5.25 that husbands are love their wives as Christ loved the church. So he knew, according to this edict in this promiscuous culture, that all that this was going to do is create a bunch of sinful lifestyle, sexual immorality, and he was right. So he went against the grain of this edict, according to legend, and he began to perform secret marriages all over the land. And when he was caught, he was imprisoned, he was tormented, he was beaten, he was scourged, and ultimately he was put to death. But while he was in prison, he actually began to minister to this young jailer named Aristarchus. And through his time dialoguing with him, he found out that Aristarchus' daughter was blind. And that Aristarchus was not a Christian, not a believer. He led him to the Lord. And he began to pray for him. And out of that prayer and out of that exchange, Aristarchus' daughter was healed of blindness. And it went on to be the story as he was killed in February that that would be the remembrance because before he died he wrote, wrote one final letter to his love that was outside the prison walls and had Aristarchus go and carry it, hand carry it to her. And in that he told her, farewell to my fair love, sign your Valentine. 
And that was the first Valentine. But I submit to you that regardless of what part of that story is right, which part is historical, and which part is lore, I believe that the truth of Valentine's, the love, really originated not in a place of, of Rome, but it originated in heaven with a holy God who dialogued with His Son before He framed the world that there would be a plan of redemption, that it will become a point when man would fall, that man would do the one thing that God had asked him not to do, and in that fall that Jesus the second person in the Trinity would leave perfection, would leave his throne and would enter into humanity. He would leave uh, the, the, the timelessness of his throne and enter into time. He would leave the beauty of his throne and enter into the nasty of the world. In fact, so much so that he came not into a palace as a king, but he came as a pauper born to a, a lowly son, I mean a lonely father, a carpenter's son, a woman of obscurity, a family not of great wealth. He would be born in a manger and he would live a perfect sinless life, bringing about a new message of hope that for God so loved that he gave and he was the epitome of the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. I submit that Valentine's Day, the truth of love, didn't start with, with Claudius II and Valentine. It started in the Garden of Gethsemane where he began to, to, to labor over the issue that he was going to have to die. But not only die, but that he would become the sin of the world. It would be placed upon his shoulder that he would drink the full wrath of God against the sin of the world, therefore becoming our sin, that you and I may be made the righteousness of God through him. He was literally targeted. He was betrayed. He was denied by his best of friends. He was arrested in the garden that night. He was scourged. He was mocked in front of fake trials over, over leaders, Jewish leaders, Roman leaders. He was, he was mocked. He was scourged. He was beaten beyond the point of recognition. He literally put a cross upon his shoulder, walked up to the hill of Golgotha, the place of death, the place of the skull, and he was brutally murdered because of mine and your sin. For God so loved the world that he gave. That's where love started. That's where love is perpetuated, and that's where love continues. It's a perfect love. And I submit to you this morning that part of the reason that we as a culture and that we are marriages are, are a walking statistic that five out of ten, and maybe six now, out of ten marriages end in divorce, second time somewhere between seven and a half to eight percent, I mean seven and a half to eight out of ten end in, in divorce. And why is that? And we can have all of these reasons and all of these justifications, but God's law, God's plan, God's heartbeat for love is still the exact same because he tells us again, husbands, Love your wives even as in the same manner that Christ loved you. How did he love you? I'm glad you asked. He loved you when you were unlovable. He loved you when you were cursing him. He loved you when you were persecuting him. He loved you when you were the picture, the epitome of a Roman soldier slapping his face, pulling the hair from his face, slapping him uh, and, and cursing him and mocking him and casting lots before him. If you be the Christ, come down and save yourself. He loved you because he said one of the seven things from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the love that God is extending. And here's what I believe to be true this morning. I believe that every single person under the sound of my voice in this room or watching by podcast or even people outside of that have a desire for two things. Number one, I believe we have a desire to love. Secondly, I believe we have a desire to be loved. It's found in the extension of mom and dad to children. It's found in the extension from friend to friend. It's found in the extension of husband and wife. It's found in the extension of our desire to be loved by God. But what has happened is the culture in which we live has sold us a bill of goods. The world is searching for that perfect love. One that will not fail us. 
one that will not hurt us, one that doesn't keep score. And what I believe and what I've seen and what you've seen is that our culture has commercialized this idea of love. It's a love that Hollywood paints in the storyline of some of the greatest stories written. We go watch the movies and we go watch The Notebook. How many of y'all seen The Notebook? All right. I hate to see that movie because it's like they, they die like right there together in the bed. I mean, it's crazy, to, but this, it's just an ex, in, incredible picture of love that that's the way it should be, that we're going to die this, this mystical, magical, fairy tale ending when, in fact, you and I both know that life is hard, marriage is even harder, and difficulties come and go. It rains on the just and the unjust. But what I believe to be true when it's all said and done is I believe that Hollywood has sold us a counterfeit love that requires nothing but costs you everything. But there's another love, and that's the love of Jesus. And I submit to you today that we cannot know perfect love and first know it until we first know the person of love. That it's a love that you can't find on a dating website. Christian Mingle doesn't have this kind of love. It's not a love that you can buy. It's not a love you can find in random relationships, quote-unquote, sowing your wild oats. We are taught and we are, we are encouraged to date around until we find that person. You'll find that principle nowhere in Scripture. And we give of ourselves little by little when in fact that there is a love that conquered death, hell, and the grave. There's a love that can break every chain in your life. There's a love that can cast down the strongholds and the bondages. There's a love that literally covers a multitude of sin. There's a love that can cause the addict to bend a knee. There's a love that can bring the dead into life. There is a love and that love is a person and his name is Jesus. And it's a love that's here today. It's a love that the world doesn't understand today because we keep score. If they hate, we hate. If they fight, we fight back. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn with me to one passage of Scripture. I'm just going to give you this morning four attributes, four traits of perfect love. The perfect love found through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 17 is our text today. And then we're going to cover four quick areas if we may and it says and and as we live in God our love grows more perfect everybody say perfect so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world some translations say as Jesus lives so shall we live in this world that literally because we are a child of the most high God because we've got the love of God extended to a lost and dying world how many of you know in the reality of the moment that you were saved that you weren't even looking for God you weren't pursuing God but that he committed his love to you pursued you with a love that just shook your world and you had nothing to do but to receive how many remember the day he called your name with the love that covers a multitude of sin. A love that can pull uh, the deepest, darkest person out of that place of regret and out of the place of bondage. I remember I shared with uh, our community group one night that there was a, a gentleman over in LaGrange where I used to live called me one day and he said, I got this co-worker. He said, Mark, he is miserable. He said, I, I really think the guy is possessed. He said, this guy curses every other word. He condemns Christians. He can't stand pastors. And, 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 and he, he said, I want you to come talk to him. I'm thinking, what an invitation that is. He hates pastors. He's going to curse me and I'm going to walk in. I'm going to have to beat this guy up in Jesus' name. 
And, and I remember going over there. The whole time going over there, I was like going, Lord Jesus, please give me the words to say. and Please don't let this, this guy, you know, cross the line. Let's, let's not let this be something to give him more uh, ammunition to hate the church. God, help me. And I remember going in, and he stood up, and he's a little bit taller than me. And I go, Lord, let's scratch that first thing. We're not going to beat him up. And he began talking, and he got in my face. And he wasn't being ugly to me, but he was pointing in his face and scrutinizing the faith of Christianity. And I was the picture of it at that moment. I knew that man was completely disenfranchised from any love that, that had ever been shed on the cross. I don't know what hurt he brought to the table that day. But I remember talking to the guy. I said, tell me your story. And he begins to share and unfold this story of how he had a terrible divorce and he was disenfranchised now from his daughter who is now a mother of his grandbaby and, and how she hated him and she couldn't stand him because of all the failures. And he was cursing word after word after word and, and he cursed God right there to my face and everything in me, man, just cringed. He was using God's name in vain and I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, show me what to do here. I'm about to walk out of this house and, and I'm just sitting there just, oh, God, please. And, he started crying, but he got madder and madder and madder. And I stopped him. I said, let me ask you one thing, sir. He said, what is it? I said, what would it take for you to know that Jesus died for you? Even as you are right now, Jesus died for you. He said, I would have to see it. I'd have to hold it. I'd have to be able to take it in my hand. Mark, you can't do that, can you? I said, no, I can't. He said, then there's no hope. I said, okay. In my mind, I'm going, I'll play your silly game. Do you love your daughter? Man, that joker swole up. He, he got closer to me. Of course I love my daughter. You knew that. I've been telling you all the time. He went through this whole thing. I said, show it to me. Give it to me. Put it in my hand. He crumbled and melted like a wet noodle. He sat down on the carpet of that guy's house. He looked into himself and he said, that's it. I said, yeah, it's by faith. It's faith. You can't hold it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. Oh, but let me tell you something. When you receive it, you know it's true and can't. Nobody in the world take that away from you. It's a love that will change your world. That will take you from deadness into life. It will take you into the bondage and set you free. It will take the old. You know what? Your past is gone when you accept the free gift of life in Jesus. Everything I've ever done or didn't do or failed at or could have done better. Every word, every hatred, every moment, everything that Adolf Hitler did, if in the doxology of his life in the final moments, if he was bombed, where he was, I don't know, if he would have said, Lord Jesus, forgive me and save me, he'd be in heaven today. That is the love that that gentleman accepted that night. And he looked at me and he said, how do I do it? I said, man, now we can talk. I embraced him. He cried. My shirt was soaking wet. And he prayed and he said, Lord Jesus, save me and clean me up. And we got through and well, I was pumped, man. I was, I was kicked. If I'd have been a Methodist, I'd have kicked the robe, back my robe out. I was pumped. And we were kind of high-fiving that's what we do when you get saved around me. I was high five. I was like, man, yeah, me and my buddy were crying at high five. He walked over and he knocks this thing off the, off the TV and it busts right there in the middle of the floor. And he goes, oh, man, shoot. And he goes, hey, I didn't cuss. You know, it's like God changed him. Hey, man, the guy had cussed his whole life. He was so mad and so hurt and so bruised. But the Bible says, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. That man is not afraid today. When he faces his maker, when he faces Jesus Christ, you know what he will say? 
Hey, you know what? I remember all those times you were rude and you were a bad dad and you were a bad husband and you were all these things. I remember when you used my name. You know what he would say? He'll say none of that. He'll say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Come and enter ye into all that I have prepared for you. That's the love that's perfect that changes the world. I want to give you four things real quickly. Number one, and I hope you get this today if you're taking notes, perfect love is not a phrase. The Bible says you've not been given the spirit of fear, but a power of a love. And that word is agape. It's an unconditional love. Here's the problem with love today. I love my dog. I love my cat. I love to hunt. I love this. I love that. I love my friend. I love my wife. I love you, Jesus. And we have not, we have not separated the types of love that we're supposed to have one for the other. Suffice it to say, I love Alan Brock, but I don't love him the way I love Stephanie Pritchett. Amen, Alan? Uh, yeah, really. I phileia. I phileia love him. I have a brotherly love for him. The Eros love, only mentioned in the Word of God found in the Song of Solomon, where Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, begins to speak in essential terms over the, over the anatomy of his beautiful wife. And, he, and, and many people say, why is that in there? Because it's a picture of how Jesus loves you, his bride, that he sees you perfect. He sees you sensual. He wants relationship with you. He wants closeness with you. And then there's that agape love, for God so loved the world that he agape and gave his only son that whosoever shall believe on Him shall not perish but have eternal life. I'm not afraid today because there's a perfect love. Do you know what I believe to be true today? I believe that some of us today do not have the capacity to love someone because we have never understood and grasped and brought in the perfect love of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 4.18, it says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels or casts out all fear. If we are afraid, watch this, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced the perfect love. Some of you today, and this is going to hit you. Some of you, what I'm about to say to you, you're, you're going to have to take this and let it marinate in your spirit. Some of you are so brutal and you don't love, and you don't forgive, and you carry around all this dumb, and you're afraid to love. You're really in fear. You're in total fear. You're not in denial. You're not just a mean person. You are absolutely afraid. You know why? Because you have been hurt time and time and time again by somebody who said, I love you. You see, perfect love has no fear. It's casted out by the perfect love of Jesus Christ. A love that no matter what I do, he looks upon me and says, I love you. And see, here's what you've done. It has created in you a defense. I mean, a defense that's fortified like the walls of Jericho. It's fortified with, I mean, rampart walls. It's fortified with moats. It's fortified with fire-breathing dragons. Nobody can get into your world because you have built this defense mechanism around you. But watch this. Nobody can get in. Nobody can love you because you will not let them. Because if you do, you lower your guard. You take off the mask. You let down the wall and people get to come in and you potentially will be hurt again. And you're terrified. You've never told a soul. You've hidden behind that defense wall. In fact, let me be so bold to say some of you have taken that defensive wall and turned it into an offensive. Here's what you're saying. Because I've been hurt so many times, I'm no longer even going to sit back and allow you to just hurt me. I am going to take the preemptive strike. I'll hurt you before you hurt me. Can I get a witness? Have you ever seen that? And it's all over the world. 
It's in people. It's in you and I. It's all over the world because we have allowed the world to sell us a bill of goods. Why? Because we're afraid to love and therefore have no capacity to love. Secondly, and this will help you, perfect love keeps no score. Perfect love in, in 1 Corinthians 13 and 5 said, it does not dishonor others. It is not self, self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no records of wrong. If I might say it this way, perfect love frees you of your past. <laughs> I don't know if that moves you like it does me because I know who I was. I know where I have failed him. I know what I've said. I know the lack of faith that I've had. I know what I did just yesterday. I know the lack of faith I walked in this building with. I know who I am. And I'm so thankful that everything that happened from this point back is forgiven and covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And my, I'm going to tell you something, man. That pumps me up. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have, listen, let me just say this. If there's an imbalance If I love my bride, the one who God sent me uh, among 7.1 billion people in the world, if I love her more than I love Jesus Christ, if I put her before him, I'm completely out of balance and therefore have a reason to be afraid. But if I fix my eyes on the things above, taking my eyes and my cares off the affections of this world, set my eyes like flint, the Bible says, if I look to him, gaze to him, pursue him, Guess what he'll do? He'll give me the power, the ability to love my wife the way she deserves to be loved. Mamas and daddies, we put our kids, I said this last night, we put our kids before our spouse. Because we think that's what we're supposed to do. When in fact what you need to do is sit your children down, I don't care what age they are, sit them down in in, in the den, sit on the couch, turn the stinking TV off, and sit down and have a conversation with your wife, fellas, and show them that it's a dialogue that gets through difficulty. It, it, It comes through communication. And then pray with her, love her, kiss her, let them see that kind of affection. Because here's the deal, fellas in the house, if you got a daughter, she's gonna go out and look for a man just like you to treat her just like you've treated her mama. And some of you, that should scare you to death. Mamas with boys, how are you honoring? How are you submitting? Man, what a dirty word after women's liberation. But guess what? No matter what our culture says, God's word has never changed. And so we can say this, and it sounds like we're beating up. Submit yourself into your own husband. Hey, guys, I'm going to give you I'm gonna give you premarital counseling 101. All the guys in the house that are not married, listen to me. And drop, you need to drop five more dollars in the bucket after I give you this piece of information. It's awesome. You want to know what kind of woman to choose? Take what the world says. This is what the world says. She looks like this. And you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. This is what she looks like. It's built out of a fantasy. And I don't mean to say this disrespectfully, but she does not exist. Things change. Things are altered. Everything shifts. Every, I didn't mean that. Everything. I, it was going good and Mark got plugged in. Holy Spirit dropped the ball just a minute on me and I apologize. Lord, please forgive me. All the women in the house said things do shift. Amen? Where was I? Lord, help me. But see, here's the thing. Guys, you want to know what kind of woman, what kind of girl, what kind of woman to pursue? And most of the guys in the house would say, I'm going to choose one just like my mama. 
Well, you know what? If your mama's fearing God and she's doing what God's called her to do, by all means, you choose one just like that. But watch this. The Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. That word as unto means in the same manner that you submit unto the Lord. Guys, hear me loud and clear. You want to know what kind of wife to pursue? Find a woman that fears God, that submits to God's authority with her whole heart. That will be a woman that can finally line up with God's word and be the wife that you deserve. But see, women, we come in and we, not we, I'm not one of them, but women come in and they say, well, you know, I'll submit to him if he what? Say it, ladies. If he, good Lord, seriously, if he loves me. And the guy's saying, come on, guys, I know y'all, I will love her if she will submit. Y'all should have been quiet and the ladies should have spoke. But see, here's the deal. Guess what? Do you know why I, why are you here today? Why are you here today? Why did you write a check and put it at the offering today? Why did you sing songs of praise? Why do you come and serve? Why do you do that? Because you're submitting to a holy God who first loved you. Husbands, you want your wife to submit to you? Love her the way Jesus Christ has loved you. She will want to fall under your protection. It's not something to be afraid of. Perfect love doesn't keep score. Before time began, Jesus loved you. He loved you before you failed as the band comes. He loved you while you were failing. And He will love you even when you fell again. Romans 5, 8 says, But God commended His love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Stop letting your love be reactive. If He loves me, I'll love Him. If she gets me a gift, I'll get her a gift. Any couple that's been married, how many couples in here you've been married over 20 years? Stand up. Some of the guys are like going, Y'all look at him in the face. This did not happen by accident, did it? It was intentional. I've been married to Stephanie for 26 years. Best 26 years of her whole life. I've been married to Stephanie for 26 years. And, and even just last week, we had to get back to the basics. Amen? Let's just be real honest. Stephanie, you can stand back up. No, I'm kidding. But it doesn't just happen. Sometimes you just got to get back to the basic, irreducible truths of love her the way Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her. Also, perfect love, I love this one. Not only is it not something that causes fear and it's not something that keeps score, but I love this. Perfect love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13, some of the most beautiful words. Y'all listen to this. I read this at every wedding that I do. And I, and I read it with the father of the bride standing right there, locked arms with his beautiful little girl. And I read this, everyone. Before I says, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And he looks at me and goes, her mama. You know, right before that, here's what I do. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, and I have not love, I become as a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and I understand all knowledge and mysteries, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love. Listen to these words, church. I am nothing. You can preach the house down. You can speak in any language you want to speak in. You could change the world with your serving and doing all these things, speaking a gift of faith over a life, prophesying. The Bible says, if I have not love, I'm nothing. Although I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and I give my body to be burned at the stake, 
but I have not love. It profits me nothing. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek after its own. It's not easily provoked and thinks no evil. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but always rejoices in the truth. Watch this. Love bears all things. Love endures all things. Love hopes in all things. Love never fails. You want to know if that's the love that you're wearing in your life? Do this. Mark suffers long. Mark is kind. Mark does not envy. Mark does not parade himself. Mark is not puffed up or behave rudely. Mark does not seek after his own. He's not easily provoked. He thinks no evil. Mark rejoices not in iniquity, but always rejoices in the truth. Mark bears all things, endures all things. Mark never fails. If that can be said of you, then you're walking in the perfect love of Jesus Christ. And only then are you equipped to love with a love that cannot fail. And then lastly, love this. First John 4.12 says this, No man has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God dwells in us. And His love is perfected in us. How many of you know God's love is perfect? Let's read that again. No man has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God's love dwells in us and is perfected in us. People see Jesus when we love with a perfect love. See, the greatest hope of this world is to first realize that this world is not your home. I mean, I know Pastor David's done this many times. Many times. I mean, if we were to get on a timeline, if we were to just make it from infinity this way and infinity that way, and we were to just kind of categorize the small aspect of life, even if we were to live a hundred years, that it would literally be but a vapor. Eternity past, eternity future. We are placing so much emphasis on the right now. We're keeping score. We're terrified to love because we don't want to get hurt. We keep score of love and of relationships. Jesus has forgotten your past. He said it as far as the east is from the west. Why can't we forgive that way? Can, can I just be real with you today? Can, can I do that for just a second? Husbands and wives, there's no doubt that there's couples in this room that are literally on the rocks right now. There's couples in this room that have gotten a divorce. And they know that they, if they could go back, can I tell you that you can go back. You can go back. God, aren't you glad God gives you a couple of do-overs in life? Watch this. You think that it's hit a wall and there's no hope. But let me just share this with you. i got to share this with you. Last night we sat up there and, and somehow we, we drew, I guess we drew the good table and we got to sit up on the, on the stage at the, at the ridge and we're looking out the window, Stephanie and I. We got up there on still daylight and I'm looking all at just God's glory. I see my beautiful bride sitting next to me and I'm thanking God and I literally just started tearing up. I looked down at the menu and started crying and I, I said, she said, what is this? We're having prime rib. And God's moving. And I just started crying and I looked at her honestly and I looked at her and I said, do you realize that in 1999, when we went through the difficulty in our marriage and our marriage was all but over, that God knew 
that God knew where we would be? And that if we would have thrown in the towel, Rush Ministries wouldn't exist. Some 11,000 kids might not have been saved. Do you know that we never would have been to missions in Jamaica? Do you know that I would not be sitting in this building because it would still be boarded up? And we wouldn't be having this wonderful meal with wonderful friends and getting to celebrate life with a wonderful group of people at Northridge Church. It would not have happened. And it occurred to me that the enemy must have known some glimpse of what was going to be and therefore the escalation of the attack, the intensity of the attack against my wife and I in 1999 when I was serving in the military came to a point where we couldn't stand it anymore. It was crazy. And some of you are in the same places. And my question to you is, if God's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and He's not a respecter of persons, and you're under excruciating attack by the enemy as a married couple, what is it that God has for you? What is it that hangs in the balance with your children, with your grandchildren? What is it that hangs in the balance with a person who is lost that you're going to be able to share the gospel with? But not only share it, show them through the reconciliation to just, you know what, guys, just standing up and saying, you know what, I accept the full responsibility. That's what loving your wife like Christ loved the church looks like. Guys, we need to step up. Put it under the blood. Be the stronger vessel. We want to be the stronger vessel when it's time to make the decision. We'll make a decision. Love her the way Christ has loved you without fail. Then the world will see Jesus through you. Would you bow your head with me? I submit that most of you understand that love today, at least from a knowledge standpoint. But there might be people in this room that doesn't understand it because they've never accepted the finished work of the cross. Do you know that you know that you know if you died right now, you'd go to heaven? You have Jesus in your heart. Would you search your own heart today? And if you're not sure about that, would you right now pray with me from your heart to God? Something like this. In faith, by His grace, would you pray, Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. I failed you. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe Jesus died on the cross. For my sin. And on the third day, he got up, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Today, he's at the right hand of the Father. We just pray something like this today Dear Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. Help me to live for you until the day you call me home. Jesus, will you save me and be the Lord of my life? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you pray that prayer today, I would like to you to give you an opportunity. I'd just like to pray for you. I'm not going to point you out. If you prayed and asked Jesus in your heart today, lift your hand right now. Real quick. Just real quick. And up and down. God bless you, sir. And you and you. Hold it up. Real quick. Somebody else. Anybody else? Hold it up. Hold it up. I see about four or five hands that went up. God bless you. They're counselors. They're prayer warriors standing down front. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you ask Jesus in your heart today, 